0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Monday, February twenty sixth, 2024. I'm still wanting to say 2023, and here it is, almost March. Nevertheless, welcome back. I hope that everybody had a fantastic weekend and that, well, I know a lot of you watching this were in a Bible-believing church because you were right down the hall here in a Bible-believing church, but I pray that the rest of you were as well, and I hope that you had opportunity to enjoy time, not only with your own family, but with the family of God, and certainly enjoying time set apart to worshiping the Lord. Y'all, that's one of those things that cannot be substituted for. I really can't. You need to be a regular part of a Bible-believing church, okay? Now, Enough preaching and meddling, let's get to what we're focusing on today. It's good to be back with y'all as we're making our way through the book of Acts, and yes, we are making our way through. I know it's taking us a while, but there are so many powerful points of application in what we've seen. Like, take for instance what we saw on Thursday. We saw the difference between biblical wisdom, okay, when Jesus said to be innocent as a dove but shrewd as a serpent. We saw the difference between that and worldly wisdom. Remember where we saw it? It was with the Roman commander who was finally named as Claudius Lysias, right? He's writing a letter of basically explanation. Um, Remember on Wednesday we found out that Paul's nephew uh, overhears this plot to have Paul ambushed, 40 men vowed to not eat or drink anything until Paul was dead, and they said to the Sanhedrin, hey guys, we got this idea, Um, get in touch with the commander, tell him that you want to question Paul for further information, and then when he sends him, we'll ambush whatever detachment he's with, and we'll kill Paul. And that in itself is a show of worldly wisdom. They're ready to commit murder. The Sanhedrin is ready to do it with them, okay, or at least to authorize it. Just like Paul said of Ananias the high priest previously in the chapter, when Paul spoke, Ananias had him struck on the mouth by those around him. Paul said, you've already perverted this court, in essence, that's what he said. But nevertheless, you know, it, it's shown again to be true. Worldly wisdom is on display. We don't like him, we'll murder him. We're not going to follow the law. We're going to break the law instead. We'll fast forward to um, this Roman commander, Claudius, who is wise um, at first. We see him wise with Paul's nephew pulling him to the side. He orders this huge detachment to take Paul all the way to Caesarea in order to go before Felix, who is the governor. And by the way, I should have said this um, the last time we were together. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. In just a moment, when we read our passage from today, we're going to hear about them talking about Felix as the governor. Realize that the dynamic was such that Rome was definitely the empire, okay? This is part of the Roman world. They had been conquered by Rome. as so part of the Roman empire. So ultimately, the Roman emperor was the one in charge. You also had the Roman Senate doing its thing. They worked in chorus. Um, but really, everything fell on the emperor of Rome. But the emperor, the way the empire was set up was that local municipalities, for lack of a better term, local states, they were allowed to have their own leadership. However, there was also a Roman governor there who trumped anything that they could do. Ultimately, the Roman governor was over that region of the Roman empire. Felix happens to be that governor. Okay, so that's the dynamic that we're dealing with. But in Claudius, the commander sending Paul and Felix, we see worldly wisdom on display because Claudius, the commander, flat out lied to, to Felix in his letter. He said, greetings, this man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. Now y'all, we know that's absolute garbage from all the way back in 21 when he asks in verse 38, Paul, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists into the desert some time ago? It's only after this that Paul hints that, no, he says, no, I'm not that guy. And I'm from not an uncommon city, or I'm a citizen, a citizen of not an uncommon city. And then it's right before he's been placed in chains, which you weren't supposed to do before a trial as a Roman citizen. And then they're about to flog him, which was illegal to do to Roman citizens, especially who hadn't been found guilty. Um, Paul says, hey, should you be doing this to a Roman citizen? And that's when the commander learns who this guy really is, and he's like, "Ooh, I had to buy my citizenship. Paul says, yes, but I was born a citizen. That's when the commander says, oh, wait, maybe I better rethink this course of action. Maybe we don't need to loosen him up to get him to talk to us. And, but... Of course, he lies to Felix here to make himself look good. Then he sends Paul on his way. Now, today where we're picking up is Acts chapter 24. Paul has been sent to Felix. We saw the interaction between he and Felix, the governor. Um, Paul talks about the fact that he's a citizen. He's in Caesarea at this point where Felix is. Felix says, I'll hear your trial when your accusers come, which again, it, it shows deference to the fact that Paul's a Roman citizen. If Paul hadn't been a Roman citizen, y'all, realize, I said this about the Persians um, before almost every Sunday, but the Romans were not nice people, especially, especially when it came to the Jews. Y'all, at this point, there had been so many uprisings. There had been so many complications. There had been so many problems coming out of Judea that the whole policy of the Roman Empire was no news is good news. That's what they said in Rome, right? The the emperor was like, hey, listen, whoever happens to be the governor, this is why Pontius Pilate was, was freaking out so much with this uprising that was going on. He wouldn't be governor too much longer after Jesus' crucifixion, but nevertheless that's why Pontius Pilate is freaking out. But the emperor, major trade routes went right through Jerusalem. And the Roman emperor, the the common refrain was, we don't care how you do it. Just keep things quiet in Jerusalem. Be as cruel as you want, governor. Do whatever whatever taxes you need to impose, do it. Just keep the trade routes open. No news is good news. And so by the time we get to Paul here, Felix, and he's been dealing with all these things. I mean, think about what the commander just said to Paul that we just read in chapter 21. Aren't you that Egyptian that pulled together 4,000 troops? That terrorist? They're dealing with this stuff so much that the commander thinks that Paul is probably him. Y'all, it's like a a powder keg ready to erupt all the time. And so if Paul wasn't a Roman citizen, Felix would not have said, yes, we're going to wait until your accusers get here. No, it's we'll send his head back in a box and make whoever wants him dead happy just to shut him up. That's most likely what would have taken place. But it's not what Felix does. Also, we see the Lord intervening. Now, today, Acts chapter 24, Let's pray and then we'll dig in. But what we're going to see is more worldly wisdom. We're going to see lies, deception, and we're going to see why we heard Paul call Ananias, what he did back in chapter 23 but let's pray and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have given to us, for this story that reveals to us so much about what was going on in this part of the world at that time, what, what was happening with your people as the gospel of Jesus Christ went forth. And Father, what lessons we learn about being innocent as a dove and shrewd as a serpent as opposed to just being a serpent, being a snake, having worldly wisdom. Let us learn, Father, and let us see the truth, and let us praise you for the fact that you intervened then, and you're in the business of intervening now. So please, Father, work in our hearts to that end, we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I just alluded to something. I said what Paul called Felix, if you go back to chapter 23 after, well, I'll just Chapter 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias quartered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Pause there. What Paul has called Ananias the high priest it's not very different than what we read from Matthew a couple of days ago, a few days ago, about what Jesus said there in the chapter on the seven woes, the woes that he pronounced on the teachers of Israel. And it's, it's curses, it's pronouncements of judgment. Um, and y'all, it, it's, it's such a powerful, powerful moment. And I believe it is Matthew chapter 23. That's right. But in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said in verse 29, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. Previously, he said, Woe to you, verse 27, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. You all if you think that this is harsh, Remember what we're about to read. Remember this passage as we read today. Verse 24, five days later, and this is after Felix, the governor, has said to Paul, we're going to wait until your accusers get here. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Time out we should learn something just from verse one. Y'all, this is not an issue anymore where the high priest, the high priest, out of all the priests of Israel, he was the one that was elected to be the high priest. That means on the day of atonement, he was the one that would enter the holy of holies. All the implications of him being the high priest. Right? Now we know that at this point, him going in the holy of holies doesn't mean anything right? Because what was in the Holy of Holies? Nada, nada. Why? Because remember what happened when Jesus died? Well, lots of things happened when Jesus died. But one of the things that happened was the veil in the temple was torn in two, thus thus representing the end of separation between God and man. Why? Because Jesus, Ananias could call himself the high priest all day. We know that there is only one high priest. There's only one priest period. There's a reason why I tell people, call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner, right? And I say that jokingly, but really and truly, I do have one exception. Don't call me father and don't call me a priest. I'm not either. Well, I mean, I am a, I am a father, you know, to Isabella, but not in that sense, not in that sense, okay? Um, not in the, the sense of a, of a fatherly priest. I am not an intercessor between you and God, okay? I don't go to God on your behalf. I pray for you, I intercede for you, but I'm not your intercessor. I don't make peace between you and God. You only have one who intercedes for you. And according to Romans, he's seated at God's right hand right now interceding for you. And that's King Jesus. He is your prophet. He is your king. He is your priest. So Ananias could call himself a priest all he wants. And he may indeed be in the line of priests. He might have been elected as a priest, but the priesthood at this point in Judaism that denies Christ, that still sacrifices animals, it's bankrupt, bankrupt. That's why people talk about the rebuilding of the temple, the physical temple in Israel. And y'all, it's like, okay, so what? They rebuild a building? Okay, it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same thing. I mean, it it, it doesn't mean that the Lord... If they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem today, do you think the presence of the Lord would fill it as in the days of when Solomon completed the temple? Come on, y'all. If so, you should know better. There's a reason why the, the temple veil tore in two. Now, all of that being said, I digress, sorry. But nevertheless, you have Ananias. The point is this. Verse one shows us that it's not about sending representatives anymore. Ananias, the high priest, is personally involved in this, and not only he, but the elders. Elders, remember, there was a religious and a political sense to elders. But they also take Tertullus, their lawyer, with them. You know, it's interesting. Um, law, lawyers get a really bad rap, and some of them for good reason. I understand that. But y'all, there are times in life, the three ancient professions, and there's a fourth if you're in know, of that ilk. But nevertheless, that's not really the fourth. The three ancient professions, the the three ancient disciplines of the law are medicine, divinity, and law, okay? And they're represented, um oh, I don't have it up there anymore. I used to have my graduation hood. It's a red hood for when I got my graduate degree. But divinity is represented by the color red, the um, uh, Medicine, oh, is it? Medicine is represented by the color blue. Law is represented by the color green, right? Those are the three ancient disciplines. Those are the three ancient professions. Why? Because y'all, when you need a doctor, you need a doctor. You need to go to the doctor. When it's time that you need physical help, go to the doctor. When you need spiritual help, come to your pastor. And I hope that you know you can always come to me, reach out to me at any time. Really, I mean that. So when you need physical help, you go to the doctor. When you need spiritual help, go to your pastor. When you need legal help, go to a lawyer. That old saying that the man who represents himself in court or the man who serves as his own lawyer has a fool for a client. You understand what I'm saying there? It's it's, it's an old saying and it stuck around for a good reason. When you need a lawyer, you really need a lawyer. And they really need a lawyer here. So they take Tertullus with them and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Verse two, when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. Oh, y'all. Worldly wisdom. Just, just, just listen. And I'm going to give some commentary as always. He continues. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere, and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Verse 9, the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Now, that last verse, the Jews joined in, they're witnesses that they brought with them to testify to what Tertullus, their lawyer, said in representing them before Felix the governor. Now, where do we start? Well, you can start right at the start of what they've just said to show them to be absolute liars. okay? Uh, even the first three words, we have enjoyed, Okay, Y'all, remember one of the chief reasons they rejected Jesus? And we're talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of the chief reasons they rejected Jesus as the Messiah was because they believed that the Messiah would come and bring them deliverance. But not deliverance from sin. Because they thought they were good to go in that regard. <clears throat> they viewed themselves as righteous, so that wasn't the problem. Of course it was, and that's ultimately what we need saving from. but. That's for a different devotional. I got to stay on task here. Um, What they thought the Messiah was coming for was to give them political deliverance and to overthrow Rome. When Jesus proved that he was not going to do that, that he came not to overthrow Rome, but to overthrow the whole world, including Judaism, they rejected him. And not only did they reject Jesus, they had the opportunity to get Jesus or Barabbas, an absolute terrorist that tried to destroy the Roman Empire. And who did they choose? Give us Barabbas. Okay, so for them to start out by saying, we have enjoyed, they hadn't enjoyed a thing. And then if you read the next few words, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. And your foresight has brought reforms in this nation. Okay, two things. They hated the reforms of the nation under Rome and under Felix. They hated them. They viewed them as secular and Rome tried to destroy Judaism. That's why they wanted a Messiah so bad. And that's why just a few years after this, they're going to lead another revolt that will end in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD seventy. So that's a lie. But also even this idea about this long period of peace. Didn't we just hear about some Egyptian terrorists that went there and raised 4,000 terrorists in the desert? This would be like somebody going to Saddam Hussein prior to his execution said, oh, Saddam Hussein, we, we have enjoyed this long period of peace under you. The genocide thing was kind of difficult Eh, uh, but still, we've enjoyed it. It's lies, y'all. And it's no different than what Claudius did. Now, Claudius, everybody's without excuse because everybody knows you're not supposed to lie. Everybody knows that. God's law is written on everybody's heart. But, 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 these are the ones that are supposed to, to be the righteous ones. These are the ones that are supposed to be so concerned with the law. And yet, what do they do here? they lawyer up and they get a lawyer to go in and lie on their behalf. And that's not the only lie here that's going on. You know, verse three or verse five, excuse me, we have found this man to be a troublemaker. That part's true. Paul is a troublemaker because he is disrupting the system because the gospel throws aside the things of this world and, and promotes the kingdom of God. So that's true. But stirring up riots, I'm in verse five, we found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Well, one could argue that, but does stirring up really mean he showed up and he told the truth and so he's blowing the place to bits? No, you don't ever find one instance, never of the apostles inciting a riot of the apostles saying to fellow believers, hey, you know what? We're going to turn this place upside down. Uh, Let's loot the local footlocker and turn over that chariot and set it on fire. No, no, you never see that at all. In fact, the only riots you see are when the Jews just go nuts and they start taking their clothes off and throwing them up in the air with handfuls of dust. They're pulling their beards out because of their bloodlust. It's not the Christians. It's Ananias and his ilk that are doing this, and yet they lay it on Paul. Then they say he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, which is true. Side note, I talked about this Wednesday night in prayer meeting. Realize that up until very shortly thereafter, the Jews didn't view Christianity, or excuse me, the Romans didn't view Christianity as a separate religion. They viewed it as just another sect of, of Judaism. Finally, the Jews would get wise to this around 64 AD, and they would start saying, no, 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 no. Hey, Caesar, um, governor, not only are they not part of us, they're a separate thing from us, and they haven't paid you tribute like we have. We wouldn't like that if we were you. We, we pay our tribute to you. Caesar is God. In a, um, we have no king but Caesar they would do that and they would set Christians apart. But at this point, yeah, again, y'all, in Rome, it's like, who cares what's going on in Jerusalem? Just shut them up, keep them quiet. They got a guy that claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pontius Pilate mocked Jesus and had it written and put above his head. Who, Who cares? That's the Roman mentality. But then this next part, not only is he a ringleader, It says, verse 6, and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Now, y'all, all all of these things are half-truths, but we know that this is an outright lie. We know it. Acts chapter 21, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And then we find out, verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Y'all, you know, Paul never desecrated the temple by bringing Gentiles into it, but there's something deeper here. things, really. You all do you remember what Jesus said as he turned over the money changers tables? We're not going to go back and read it, but go back and read when he cleansed the temple. He said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for whom? For all peoples. This idea that a Gentile walking into the temple And all of a sudden, the whole thing becomes defiled. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. There's a reason why when the Pharisees jumped all over Jesus for his disciples, they said, hey, they're not washing their hands before they eat. It wasn't about stuff underneath their fingernails. It wasn't about them maybe catching a cold or them being dirty. No, it was about in case they bumped into a Gentile. They had to do these ceremonial cleansings just in case they touched one of the defiled ones. You ever see Jesus say anything like that? No. In fact, you see him interacting with the Samaritans. Um, with a centurion's daughter, you know, all all of these different things, right? Um, But there's another note here and it's one that they just can't help themselves with. They're talking about the temple being desecrated by the presence of a Gentile, but they don't say by the presence of a Gentile because who are they making their case to? They, They can't say, oh, he desecrated the temple by bringing a Gentile into it because they're talking to a Gentile. And probably it's not going to help their case to say, hey, we want you to help us with this religious problem that we have, because we really hate the Gentiles and this guy's involved with them, all the while talking to a Gentile who they supposedly have really, really enjoyed, and he's the most respectable, the most excellent Felix. You know, again, there's a difference between being shrewd as a serpent and just being a serpent just being a snake. And also, what's shown here is that the world's lies always expose themselves, always expose themselves. There's lots of practical examples of this, but this world of ours that's so focused on tolerance, so focused on kindness and being accepting, how quick is it to devour itself for somebody to be blacklisted, Oh and I forgot I'm not supposed to say that word because that's a really sensitive word and that you know which is not true and that, you know what I found is it's the people that get so politically offended by word usages you want to find the most racist people on the planet find the people that say well you can't say things like blacklisted anymore because that's racist usually those are the most racist people that walk the planet earth okay but as a side note nothing's changed in 2000 years Including the fact that verse 9, the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. You had men bearing witness to things that they knew were lies. Now, what's the application to us? Look around you. Look at the things that Christianity is accused of, some of them correctly, some of them we've got it coming. But y'all, when it comes to persecution, the world is always ready to lie, to murder to work violence in order to stamp out the truth. The question is, how will we respond? Much of the church in the United States has decided that they'll respond by just not telling the truth. Or the church in the United States, you can't tell the difference between it and the world around us. But you and I are called to something higher than this. You and I are called to faithfulness. And as we'll see tomorrow, Paul will indeed be faithful. I've gone way over, let's give me. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would be ready. Help us to see the world for what it is, that it's full of lies and darkness. Help us to appreciate what we've read here, this history of how you work, and help us to understand the world that we're reading about so long ago, because in understanding it, we understand our world too. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. I hope that all of you have a wonderful week. Let me go ahead and remind you, we will not be having prayer meeting this Wednesday. So keep that in mind. But hopefully we'll see you soon.